The New York Football Podcast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. Just think of these upcoming Giants home games. They're going to be giving away tickets. You can get to see Aaron Rodgers and Carson Wentz and, of course, the Miami Dolphins. I mean, this is going to be a steal coming down the stretch here for the Giants. So you got to go to game time, do your two taps, and get into MetLife Stadium for some great football in the final month of the season. The Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. listening to the New York Football Podcast with Tim McMaster and Dan Duggan. No game to recap for the Giants coming off the week. It was the bye week. Everybody's uh, refreshed, ready to go. Tim McMaster here along with Dan Duggan on the New York Football Podcast. We thought we'd do a full episode of Duggan Deep, so thanks for the questions. We got them through Twitter, um, and we're going to get into it a little bit. Um, If you... uh, are enjoying this podcast so far, though, this one for free. If you want all of the New York football podcasts, you need to subscribe to The Athletic. And right now you can get 40% off that subscription. So go to theathletic.com slash the New York football podcast. Get 40% off that subscription. Great time for it with the holidays coming up as well. All right, Dan, are you ready to uh, to field questions on what has been an interesting season for the New York Giants? <laughs> yeah, it's a little different doing a Monday and we're not recapping a loss. So it's been a nice change up. <laughs> Yeah, they did not lose this week. That's good. Um, So we broke these down, or you broke these up, actually, into some different categories. So I give you credit for making my job easier. Uh, The first few relate to the final six games ahead. So looking ahead to the rest of the season and what this team has going on, number one comes from Mark Kelly. Uh, Update on Julian Love getting first team reps. The health of uh, left tackle Nate Soldier. If injured, would they swing Slade to left tackle? Any other noticeable changes, field, tone, schemes, et cetera? There's a whole lot going on there. Yeah, I mean, some good football questions here. You know, it's, uh, it's good stuff. Um, now, with Julian Love, uh, I know some reporters said he got some first-team reps last week. Tough to read too much into that. Those are bi-week practices, so I don't know if they're just going to give a veteran like Antoine Bethea a couple of days off so his legs get a little extra rest. But, I mean, it would be pretty logical to give him a shot at free safety at some point here in the second half. Uh, it'll be telling, though, because, you know, Pat Schirmer still wants to win. And, and as much as, you know, Antoine Bethea hasn't played great, there's certainly a lot more comfort, I would assume, with, you know, a 15-year veteran, whoever he is, you know, at the, at the back of your defense, as opposed to throwing a rookie in there who's, you know, converted from cornerback. So um, that'll be kind of a telling decision. If they put Julian Love in there, you know, they're fully committed to really using these next six games to prepare for 2020 and get as much evaluation as possible. If they don't, that tells you that they're just doing everything they can to try and win these games. And it's, it's, it's a tricky balance. And I think there's some questions they'll, you know, kind of touch on that topic. But so I, I guess we'll have to see. I'll, you know, I'll do some digging on that as the week goes on uh, to see where things stand with Julian Love. But as of right now, no, no real strong leaning either way. Uh, as far as Solder, you know, hard to know exactly where things stand with him because, you know, he had a concussion in the last game against the Jets. And now, it's, you know, it's been over a week, but he wasn't at practice today. You know, he had a, a personal reasons, excused absence. Um, so I assume he'll be back on Wednesday. And then we find out where he stands in the concussion protocol. Now, if he is healthy, you know, Patrick basically said today, because, you know, they shook up that offensive line quite a bit in, in that Jets game. 
And he basically said they're going to just go back to, you know, when everyone's healthy, they're, they're not, you know, looking to make changes. You know, guys aren't losing their jobs due to injury. So I would expect Solder at left tackle, John Halpio back at center, and even Mike Grammer is back at right tackle, which I don't get that one. I would, you know, I think we talked about last week. I would just play Nick Gates, see what you have out of him for the next six weeks. You know we have Mike Grammer's. But sort of the one addendum to that is if Solder isn't ready to play, then I think you'd see Nick Gates at left tackle. Um you know, he certainly has been the next man up a tackle all year. You know, when Remmers was out, he went in a right tackle. But I think if Solder's out, he'd go in at left tackle. And, you know, Chad Slade has really sort of, you know, fallen out of favor, you know, really for no fault of his own because I mean, he hasn't played. You know, he had a pretty good preseason, earned a roster spot, and then has been a healthy scratch every week. And, and that was surprising last week when uh, Eric Smith got activated over him. And then obviously Smith got pressed into duty when Solder had the concussion. Smith didn't perform very well, so maybe Slade – uh, jumps him, but either way, both those guys are behind Gates. So I would assume if Solder's out, you know, Gates starts at left tackle and Remmers at right tackle. The question really becomes: if Solder's in the lineup, do they really stick with Remmers at right tackle and put Gates back on the bench? Which again is a decision I wouldn't really understand. But maybe if from Gates, they got Khalil Mack this week. Maybe this is the, the week to really uh, push too hard for playing time. We get him next week, uh, and then the last one. No, no notable changes. I mean. You know, you're already playing your rookie quarterback. You put him in a week three. You're playing a bunch of rookies. There's not a ton of, you know, cards for Pat Schirmer to play. You know, something we definitely touched on last week where really he didn't, you know, make any staff changes and he's not giving up play calling. You know, those were the two big things if you're going to shake things up. I mean, the Falcons, you know, they did it during their bye week. Dan Quinn stopped calling the defensive plays, shook up his staff. And, hey, they've come on and got two wins. The defense looked really good. So it's easy to say, hey, it was, it was that simple. Um, but, you know, Shermer, they're willing to just kind of you know, soldier on with, you know, what they've done the first 10 games. So it comes back to that Einstein theory of, uh, you know, insanity. But he, he did make a point today, too, also that this idea that you can make sweeping changes during the buy is a little overstated. And I think there's some validity to that because, I mean, the players are gone for the buy. It's not like they're there practicing. So, sure, the coaches can sit in the room. And they can tweak, you know, little things schematically. They can make a decision like Julian Love's going to start at safety when we come back. But you really can't, like, scrap things and, and you know, do any sort of crazy overhaul. There's just not enough time to install it. So, um, you know, we'll definitely be on the lookout for any sort of wrinkles uh, in the Bears game. And, like I said, maybe a lineup change or two. But I wouldn't expect any, you know, significant changes. And then as far as, you know, he's asking about the, you know, mood of the team, I guess. Um, you know, I, I never really buy into that type of stuff. But I did note you know, late in that uh, Jets week that it just seemed like a really flat and dejected locker room. You know, obviously they came out and got to a really slow start, but then they did come back and then, you know, obviously fell short. But I I don't read too much into that stuff. It felt the same. You know, I I don't think you'd want these guys to be, you know, whooping it up in the locker room. Um, But, you know, it just felt like kind of a normal day. So I don't don't think any uh, drastic change to the psyche of the team after the bye. No changes to the ping pong table either, right? It's it's as it was before the bye. it's there, but it's it's collecting dust. There's, there's no, there's hasn't been any playing um, during access today, and I, I don't think there was last week. So that, that's all. You know, as we know, that's always touch and go. And it seems like music has been removed from stretching indefinitely. So I mean, they're they're running out of uh, cliche tropes to uh, to run out there to to try and change things up for this team. They need a win. Got to get that ping pong table back going. All right. The next one comes from Kyle Burke. Uh, This is more of a big picture type question. What Giants team will we see through the second half of the season? Will they play hard or just try to finish the season as quick as possible and get to the golf course? (laughs) I added the golf course part. That's where they're headed mostly. Um, (laughs) If you follow them on Instagram, they'll be all on a beach somewhere in in early January. Uh, No, I mean, I'm sure they'll play hard and then, you know, they'll throw a pizza party and I'll get participation trophies and it'll be you know a great day i i gotta say i'm just 
I'm so tired of the playing hard narrative. And it's just like, it's such a baseline level of evaluation. And I'm, and I'm not, you know, firing back at the question. It's more like that the Giants always trump that. Like, as if that means, you know, so much that they, they play hard for Shermer. Like, I mean, even when they were a disaster in 2017 and they had an interim coach and guys get suspended and teammates, you know, going at each other's throats in the locker room, they lost by five in week 15 to the eventual Super Bowl champions when the Eagles came in, which will probably live on in infamy as the Mirage game with Eli, where, you know, Dave Gettleman saw all he needed to see to, uh, to commit to bringing Eli back. But the, the, my point being is, like, teams play hard. The, the, the 60 minutes every Sunday, if, if you're, if you're going to dog it, they're going to dog it on Thursday and on, you know, Saturday. They might go out, you know, whatever. They're going to dog it on those days. The guy's going to show up and play on Sunday. So I just, I just don't want to hear that. I mean, I'm sure they're going to play hard. You know, Shermer hasn't, you know, quote, unquote, lost the locker room. He's just losing the game. So that's more important, in my opinion. Um, but, yes, I don't think it's going to be just devolve into a mess of, of guys not caring and it being really apparent on the field. I mean, we've already seen a few sort of uh, glimpses of some business decisions or, or lackluster effort, but I don't think it's going to become, uh, you know, an epidemic here in the last six games. I'm sure they'll, they'll play it hard and, and you know, they can say that at the end of the year that the guys, you know, they fought and they battled and all the other you know, terms Sherman loves to say after every game. Yeah, I think fans would rather the team completely block out the head coach and go win games than than still be engaged with Shermer and continue to lose. Uh, next one's from Enrique Cabral, and uh, this is more of a do you tank to tank or not to tank? He says, what do you think is more important for the team, winning some games and finishing the season with some momentum or chaos and finger-pointing over the next six games with a chance to draft Chase Young? <laughs> well, it's funny because I think if you really look back, last year's final month was probably the ideal thing because they they played hard they were in every game they were competitive i think they lost you know, four out of the last five games though or the last three games i can't remember what it was but they they did not finish strong we'll, we'll say that um and, and really that's you know what you want because pragmatically you want to have the best possible draft pick you can have so that is sort of the ideal but i mean it's not just strictly like a zero-sum game i mean there are players on the field you don't want them to go into the offseason on like a 12-game losing streak and losing to teams like the Redskins and the Dolphins. So, I mean, if you're looking at it from that perspective, I mean, you, you want to see them get a couple of wins. And, and you sort of let the the draft status, you know, kind of those chips fall where they may. I mean, does it make that much difference if you're third or sixth? I mean, yeah, it probably does. But you just can't have guys concerned about that, obviously. And not that anyone would because, I mean, listen, the guy that they're going to take is, is going to come take your job anyway. So why, why do you want to facilitate that? Um, but I think it's, it's definitely a little bit of a different dynamic this year when you have Daniel Jones, you have all these young players, as you know, it's been well documented are playing. You want them to develop some good habits, get a taste of winning, you know, all the, the cliched stuff they don't buy too much into. It's still better that they can taste some success here instead of like just, a, just getting their heads beat in for, you know, these last 12 weeks or whatever it'll end up being if they, you know, just you know, lose out and, Hey, we've got a great draft pick. That's not going to be a great consolation. And again, I think it, that Jones changes the dynamic. When Eli was starting, it really didn't matter. Yeah, lose all you want because, I mean, he's, his Super Bowl rings are still going to be shining and his uh, display case back at home. It didn't really matter. With Jones, you want him to to be rewarded for you know, some of the good things he's doing and not just have so much negativity, you know, kind of just drown that good stuff because that, that'll start to happen if they just continue to lose like they have been. 
Sure, it was the Giants' bye week, but there was still plenty of football on and plenty of football to wager on as well. And with so many college and pro games on the slate, the DraftKings Sportsbook app can make your weekend even better. And now, with hoops and hockey action going on, the DraftKings Sportsbook app can get you in on the action 24-7, 365 days a year. DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. And with so much going on, they have great promotions running all month long. This week, DraftKings is running a special NFL insurance promo. Bet on a team to win, and if they score at least 24 points, your bet is safe. DraftKings will credit back your wager even if the team loses. For instance, hey, go with the Ravens at the Rams on Monday night. Ravens, of course, rolling 8-2, and two, and they've been piling up the points with Lamar Jackson. So sure, maybe they lose on the road against the Rams, but they're going to score 24 points. An easy bet, an easy insurance for your bet. And don't forget the DraftKings Sportsbook app has in-game betting so you can bet on the games while they're happening. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use code QUICK for a limited time. All new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. That's code QUICK for all new and existing users to get a deposit bonus up to $500. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey only. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, the next uh, segment of questions, I guess, is is staff questions. And this is the biggest section as well, because that's where a lot of these questions are coming about. That's where the concern is, I think, with the fan base is what is going on with the front office and everything like that. So the first one comes from Tim Coffey. Do you think we have three, four personnel? Williams is clearly a five tech guy that can turn three. Would going to an established 4-3 and having four actual defensive tackles help the pass rush? Another good technical question for you, Dan. Yeah, and we have to clean up some of Tim's language there, though. Tim, it's a family podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, that's sort of the thing. Like, they obviously made the change from the four three that they've been in for a while to go to the three four and the hired Betcher. And all they told you that first off season was it doesn't matter, no big deal. Everyone's in nickel, blah blah blah. Like you guys are all crazy for making a big deal about it. And then the defense stunk. And then all they said this off season was, well, we gotta get the pieces, gotta get to fit the right way. We're finally getting the pieces, like. So like either we're dumb or they're you know like it, it's it seems like it matters what your base defense is as much as I know they don't play it very often. So now let's say they move on from Betcher. Do you bring a guy who comes in because the three four is part of a selling point that you don't have to you know scrap your personnel and start over again, or do you just say listen we get the best guy and, and we think four three is a better fit for our personnel and we'll try and make that work for a year and, and you know what I mean like I don't know what the best answer is there because it could sort of be like. They just keep trying to just fit round pe- pegs into square holes, and, and they can't quite, you know, get it sorted out. Uh, I will say, like, I don't think that their personnel on the defensive line is ideal, you know, for four three though. I mean, you might have four quality ish players on the defensive line, but like Dalvin Tomlinson's an interior guy, uh, B.J. Hill's an interior guy, Dexter Lawrence's an interior guy. Maybe Leonard Williams could be a you know outside guy in a four three, but I don't think that would be his strength. So you basically have you know a really strong interior, but then you're still going to have guys like you know Marcus Golden and Lorenzo Carter. Now they're going to be playing almost exclusively like down on the line. I don't think that suits Carter that well. So I don't know. I mean, I think they have to get the best defensive coordinator here. You know, however that is, if they stick with Betcher, they bring in another guy who does three four. They bring in a four three guy. Whatever they decide is the best option. They can't let the scheme, you know, dictate everything. But I don't think it would be a super smooth transition. And again, we just go back two years ago. You know, we were told it would be no big deal, and it really hasn't been a smooth transition. I mean, the one problem I had with they went to this three four, they didn't attack linebacker. Like you need to have 
really good linebackers if you're going to have a successful 3-4 defense. I mean, that's like the heart of your defense. I mean, the guys up front are, are occupying blockers, so your you know, linebackers can fly the ball and make plays. They don't have any playmakers there. So that, that's head-scratching just the way they've approached this. I mean, you know, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the answer is. I, they're so far down this path with the 3-4, how they've constructed the team. But, you know, maybe they do, you know, change on the fly again. I don't I don't know. That's a, it's a good question. And it's it's a it's a multi-layered answer that I don't really have at this point. Well, we got to wait and eventually we will know all the answers right next to Steve Rudemeyer. He says, how is Hal Hunter still employed? His resume is hot trash and he used the trash can emoji. So bonus points <laughs> to you, Steve, for that. Seriously, though, chances that Mara pushes for an assistant coach change with very few players seeing potential reaching their potential this season. Yeah, no, I mean, on hundred resumes, not not wrong. I mean, he was the offensive line coach of the the one in fifteen Browns in twenty sixteen. I think they allowed the most sacks in the league that year, out of the league completely in twenty seventeen, and then certainly has not you know distinguished himself in these two years with the Giants. So, um, you know, Hal Hunter, you know, did a good job. His agent did a good job getting him on Shermer's staff. Uh, I will say this: like, there's no way that if Pat Shermer and Dave Gettleman are back, there's no chance the entire you know, apparatus comes back intact. There's no way every single position coach and coordinator is back. Now, if you ask me, like, who's going to be gone, I mean, Betcher and Hunter stand out as two, like, obvious scapegoats. And I'm not saying scapegoats in the sense that they wouldn't deserve to be fired because their units have underperformed. But those are the guys who stand out. There's just – you could not possibly stand up there on, you know, January 1st and say, like, we're going to just run it back, boys. We've seen enough these last two years from our offensive line or defense that we don't need to change anything. So – it might not be fair based on what these guys have had to work with, but you know it's a results-oriented business. I would think that they would certainly move on from those two guys at minimum, and then you're going to lose guys because you know a better offer comes along, or you get a you know a promotion somewhere else. I mean, all sorts of things. I and mean, the staff pretty much never stays fully intact, but there's just no way you could sell after another you know four and twelve, five and eleven type season that we're just going to run it back with the same group and expect different results. I mean, people just you know won't stand for that. So I think if Shermer is back there's certainly going to be some changes on the staff. Yeah, these staff questions continue. This one from Just a Giants Fan Podcast. Uh, he says, firing Shermer aside, which type of coaching changes would yield bigger short-term results starting in 2020, letting the offensive coordinator develop the offensive game plan and call plays, or changing out the position coaches for all groups with major issues? Well, yeah, I mean, I think we touched on the second part of that question where, yeah, sure, I mean, easy change. Get rid of the offensive line coach. Uh easy-ish change, get rid of the defensive coordinator. I don't know if you just like can go to every single position because like the D-backs weren't very good in 2018. They haven't been very good now, and the coaching uh, positions have totally changed over. So like, is it more of a talent thing? Is it more of a scheme thing? Or is it the actual hands-on position coach? That's a really hard thing to evaluate when you're not at practice every day and you don't know exactly what's being taught. But um, So definitely think you'll see some changes there. But to his point about the play calling thing, that's where – they're kind of in a bind, I feel like. You know, we touched on last week that Shermer has, you know, zero interest in giving up play calling, was sort of like taken aback by that even being a suggestion, which again I think speaks to just sort of his overall just narrow focus. Like you're not the offensive coordinator, you're not the quarterback's coach. So you're not just evaluated on how many points the team scores or how many, you know, touchdown passes Daniel Jones is. That's not the end all be all for a head coach, but I feel like he still looks at it that way. But I, I, part of the problem is when we look back, some of the big reasons he was hired was because of his track record with developing quarterbacks and the fact that you know my Minnesota had a great offense under his tutelage in his last season there. I will say this. If they do fire Pat Shermer, 
I do not want to hear about a guy's schemes and play calling as one of the top reasons they get named the next guy, the head coach. It just can't be that way. Like they went to McAdoo because he was the comfortable choice. The offense had performed well. So they just handed it to him. He tried to call the plays. You know, it was pretty much a disaster. Shermer has been a good coordinator throughout his career. Really, I mean, it's funny though, because like people always say the media stuff like doesn't matter, and by and large, it doesn't. But like the interviews they're doing with us, that's really reveals who these guys' personalities are in most cases. So like, how did Pat Shermer go in and wow them in an interview? Like, do you see anything from his personality that tells you like, man, this guy can command the room. This guy is like, you know, a leader and all this stuff. Like, he just doesn't come across that way to us. So maybe he's just a master of. of being bland during the press and then he lights the room on fire behind closed doors. But I, I don't get that impression. I've never heard anyone say that's the case. So I think they need to find a guy. Listen, every guy who's going to be up for this job knows the X's and O's. Like the difference in X's and O's other than like the Belichick's of the world, that that range isn't that great once you get to this level. It's those sort of intangible characteristics of like what makes a great head coach. Like look at Mike Tomlin. I mean, he doesn't call the plays. I don't, you know, I don't even remember what his background is, what side of the ball it is, but those guys play. He said a lot of drama there, but you know, just this year, this year's team was you know left for dead when Rothsburg went down, and he just finds a way to get his guys to play, and they win. You just gotta find that guy. And listen, it is so much easier said than done, but it's 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 definitely even easier to just say, well, look at the guy's resume. His offense finished third, sixth, and eighth in the last three years. That's our next head coach. Like I just think it has to be a, a more in depth process. I don't know how you get you know get to that point, but it just feels like everyone is working from the same list. Because coordinator X had a good, you know, last season, so we got to scoop him up. Like, there needs to just be a, a more in-depth process and, and more brought into it than just what like this guy's unit did in his last stop. And I feel like that's sort of the problem with Shermer as a play caller. Like, if you take that away from him, then what does he even bring to the table? You know, I mean, he's not like this great CEO type. So supposedly his play calling is a strength. So uh, taking away from him, I think you're really stripping sort of any of the value you know he brings. So that that that's kind of round and round where I go on that, where I just feel like I just don't want to hear that if there is a coaching search that, like, so-and-so's offense finished second in the league in scoring or so-and-so's defense had the most sacks. Like, that's not what's going to make him a good head coach. And I feel like they fell into that trap with Shermer a little bit. Yeah, and so many teams fall into that trap. And then you see the the smart ones make those moves for for somebody different that uh, – that doesn't go doesn't just go by that and and hey he was this guy's assistant or whatever it is all right up next right, fire John look good well let me jump in like because look at like Frank Reich he was like not even on that coaching carousel two years ago and he's probably yep. done you know the best job from that twenty whatever it was twenty eighteen off season and he was like whatever he wasn't uh, Philly's like the quarterbacks coach he wasn't even a play caller and you know they obviously wanted to hire Josh McDaniels it was probably the best thing that never happened to them. And they somehow, you know, stumbled, doubled back and stumbled across Frank Reich. And, and he has been a really good leader there. And again, it's like, I don't, it's not an easy process, but like there's millions of dollars at stake and these guys get paid millions of dollars to make these decisions. So you have to hold them to a, a high standard. And I, and I just think that there's enough examples of like just always hiring a guy who has a good track record as a coordinator should not be the end all be all when you're making these decisions. Yeah, I was. I mean, another guy that's that looks like he's headed to success. You think about Brian Flores in Miami, and hey, Belichick coaches have done poorly. It hasn't been a good idea to hire from the Belichick tree necessarily. And he wasn't even the defensive coordinator, even though he's kind of the highest defensive guy. Belichick was kind of running the show, but the Dolphins saw something there, and I think hired him before most people thought he was ready. And then we see this year for a terrible team trying to tank, but it seems like he is ready, and that team. Is kind of overachieved. So yeah, you got to do your due diligence and, and find that right guy. That's it. Let me just jump in because I, I looked it up. So 
Reich was the offensive coordinator in name, but he wasn't the play caller. So, like, that, I mean, not, not to split hairs, but I know people will be like, oh, you got that wrong. But so he wasn't, he didn't get hired by the Colts because of his brilliant game plans or anything like that. It was, you know, he was the offensive coordinator in Philly, but you know, Peterson was calling the plays. But again, they, they sniffed him out, whether it was the interview or his reputation, whatever it may be. And, and certainly uh, they've been rewarded by, you know, making that slightly off the beaten path higher. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, up next is FireJohnMara.com is this one. And he's at FireJohnMara on Twitter, so we know where his mind is. Unfortunately, you can't fire John Mara. Uh, if the Giants lose out or go 3-13, and 13, does Mara consider cleaning house, or will he fire another head coach but not the GM? It's a good question because, listen, it was a totally different circumstance, uh, you know, with Coughlin and Reese because both guys have been there for so long. So – uh, it definitely would have made a lot of sense to just cut ties with both. You know, I think everyone kind of looks back at that as a mistake. They gave, you know, Reese you know, a little too much time. He didn't turn things around. And then they ended up making the same decision two years later that they, you know, they could have made when they got rid of Coughlin. It's different now, though, because, listen, I think my, my views on the overall job Dave Gettleman has done are, are pretty well documented. At the same time, I have a really hard time, if I'm John Mara, firing a guy after two years, when when I hired him, I knew it was going to be a long rebuild process. Like as much as they've said, you know, that you can rebuild while you win. I mean, I think realistically they knew it was going to be a process. You look at some of the moves that they've signed off on, you know, all the dead money they've eaten these past two years. They certainly were making strides, you know, and, you know, the plan has kind of been nebulous. But, it, you know, it's, it's lining up now that this next offseason is going to be a crucial offseason for the franchise. A lot of cap space. You know, unfortunately for them, another top draft pick. But things are aligned that, like, this is the offseason to make hay. So, look, you could certainly look at it and say, Dave Gettleman is not the guy that I want making these, you know, crucial decisions. And there's been enough of these two years that, you know, create serious doubts in my mind that I feel comfortable with that. But, again, if you committed to him knowing what, you know, was ahead, I don't see them pulling the plug. I mean, I think that – you know, they would, are going to ride it out with Gettleman, you know, let his vision come to fruition. And then in a year or two, if it's still in this position, then I think, you know, certainly all bets are off. But I don't, I mean, all the kind of warts we see of Dave Gettleman, he was in that building every day for, you know, 10, 15 years. They know him very well. So they're not caught off guard by the fact that he's got this kind of bombastic personality or that, you know, he's harsh with players. I mean, all this stuff was, you know, very well known. They went into it eyes wide open. So none of that stuff should really even count against them. Again, if you're looking at it from their perspective, not mine, from John Maris. And then I, as far as, you know, do you marry it with the coach decision? I think that is a little different. Like, I think you could say, like, Pat Shermer isn't the guy to get us over the top. So listen, Dave is going to, you know, work his magic this offseason. But it's already, there's enough evidence that Pat's not the guy. I think it's a, I think it's a less of a shakeup to change coaches than GMs. So I, I think that there is a chance that they could move on from Shermer, keep Gettleman. I mean, they're, they're in a bad spot. Cause I, I mean, I don't think either guy is the answer, but I also like, so like, but I don't think they should fire. I don't think they're going to fire Gettleman. I'm not saying they should. So then do you just keep Shermer too? And like give them both a third year? Like, I don't know. They're, they're in a sticky spot. I, I think that these next six games are a lot more important for Pat Shermer than Dave Gettleman. I think Dave Gettleman is going to be back unless he, you know, you know, does the quote unquote early retirement or something. Uh, but I think he's going to be back. I think Shermer's fate is very much up in the air. And I think he needs to, you know, show something because I think that Jets game is, you know, I'm sure John Mara did not have a very enjoyable bye week going into it with that loss. 
So I think Shermer needs to show something, but I, I, I would not rule out the possibility at all of a situation repeating where head coach goes, GM stays, and then in a year or two down the road, the GM goes anyways. But I, I just think they've kind of put themselves in that corner. I, I can't see them you know, pulling the plug on Gettleman this early in his tenure. Yeah, definitely an, an interesting scenario, and we'll see how that one plays out. All right, last one in this section of questions is from David Wisniewski. Uh, last two coaching searches, I don't think any college coaches officially interviewed. Is that because college coaches didn't want leaks to affect recruiting or Giants aren't looking college route at all? For example, Matt Rule getting lots of buzz for NFL, but not for the Giants. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a good question, good observation. Um, yeah, I don't know why that is. I mean, I'll say one thing. I know the name everyone wants to hear is Lincoln Riley, and Jay Glazer in his mailbag just said Lincoln Riley's not going to the Giants. So if Jay Glazer says it, you know, you can take it to the bank. So, you know, you can stop wishing on the Lincoln Riley tree. That's, that's not happening. Um, when you look at the, you know, college candidates, I think there is something to the, that. You know, college coaches, you know, aren't going to be shopping around for jobs while they're employed because, you know, that'll definitely be used against them in recruiting. But there's always back channel ways. You know, it feels like every time they have an opening, you know, David Shaw's name comes up. Nick Saban's name comes up, but you know, those guys have great gigs and they're obviously, uh, they haven't been tempted before. So I don't know, you know, why you're expecting anything to change, whether it's this year or next year that somehow the giants will be able to, to lure them to, to leave those great jobs to, to come to the giants. Uh, I think the one name, you know, as he mentioned, that would make some sense is rule. I mean, he's done a fantastic job with you know, resurrecting two really moribund programs. Uh, I know college is different than the NFL, but he does have some NFL background was a guy who, was on the Giants staff in 2012. And if there's one thing we know, you know, this ownership group really values those, you know, once a giant, always a giant tie. So that definitely factors in rules favor. I mean, he was really a serious candidate for the Jets. I think a lot of Jets fans probably wish he did get the job. So he's a name I would definitely expect to be on the radar. So maybe that streak of not interviewing college coaches, you know, would be broken if they do make a change. Um, so, but it is an interesting point that you don't see, uh, you know, a lot of the college names come up with these last two Giants openings. But I, I do think Rule, uh, it could change that. I think he would be interested. And I'm sure that's a guy who the Giants would at least, you know, have interest in talking to. I'm not saying that, you know, he'd be at the top of the list because, you know, way, way too far out to, to make any sort of handicap on, on the odds of who the next guy would be if they do move on from Shermer. Yeah, and I don't know if that necessarily kills recruiting in any way when these guys get get looks from the looks from the NFL at least because I think it just kind of adds more stature to their position at the college level. All right, let's take a break to talk about Roman. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually people just brush it off or blame themselves saying things like I lost my mojo or avoid it altogether with excuses like I had a long day at work or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The doctors will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash Giants and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with your doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash Giants to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash Giants for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash Giants. 
Uh, all right, draft questions to finish things off. The first one, Dan, is from Jimmy Burns. He says, how do you see the Giants attacking the draft this offseason? O-line or D-line first round, or does it depend on the position they're in? So I'm very tepidly going to you know, put my toe into the draft waters. I know once I open the floodgates, and that's what every you know, dug in deep question will be for the next you know, six months. And we have plenty of time to get into that. But uh, the questions they were kind of so broad that I, you know, I feel comfortable. I'm, I'm not quite ready to break down like which free safety should they target in the, you know, the second round or anything like that. But uh, you know, what the kind of the perk of being, um, if you want to call it that, of a team in the Giants position, uh, they have a lot of holes, so they're going to have options. They're not in a position where they need to get this one guy because if they miss out on him, like, well, you know, what else could they use? I mean, they have plenty of needs. Um, so I think that it's certainly the way things are shaping up, and you know, there's, there's a lot of football to be played and they play the Dolphins, they play the Redskins. So they kind of are going to control their own fate as far as where they end up. But, you know, as we record this today, you know, they're number three in, in the draft order. So um, I think everyone assumes the Bengals will take a quarterback with the number one pick and the Redskins have the second pick. You would not think they're going to take a quarterback. So did they, you know, swipe Chase Young, who people are talking about, like, you know, one of the best pass rush prospects of, you know, a generation, um, if that's the case, then I think for the Giants, you probably just go with the you know the Georgia tackle Andrew Thomas and say, listen, you know, hopefully we have our left tackle for the next ten years. If Chase Young's there, they probably take him and you know say, hey, we have our stud pass rush for the next ten years, and we'll you know have to figure out tackle you know kind of once again you know some other way. Um, but I think the other option that needs to be on the table is trading back. It's you know when you look back at the 2018 draft, you know I was never on the take Saquon Barkley train. I was on the take quarterback train. You know, none of those guys have really lit the world on fire. I think, you know, in hindsight, that Colts trade was probably the best, you know, route to go because able to get a couple of top end starters with those picks and, you know, situate themselves a little bit better than just taking one guy. It's, it's such a fine balance. You need like the top, top level guy, or can you get by with like three or four productive guys, you know, through those trades? So uh, that's always the balance. I mean, Gettleman has never traded back in his entire draft history, so I don't think it's probably going to be on the table. I think he's going to say, oh, this guy's too good to pass up. i got to use this pick on him and, and not have that sort of you know broader view of you know managing value in the draft. But, I um, mean, those are the two names right now that jump out, you know, Chase Young, Andrew Thomas, and the Giants desperately need both of them. So unless they can work a trade to get both of them, they're, you know, they're probably going to be left with, uh, you know, one of those two guys, but of course the draft position is going to change. That's why I don't want to, you know, dive too deep into like breaking down the strengths and weaknesses of those two guys because it'd be all irrelevant if the Giants win three games and end up with a seventh pick because you know, neither guy would be there at that point. And the good thing is that uh, two of the teams that likely could be drafting ahead of the Giants, the Dolphins, although who knows, they're red hot now, uh, and the Bengals. Um, Probably will go the quarterback route, depending. Obviously, two is hurt now, and that's going to be our next question here. But then you have, you know, you have Burrow too. So, so that could help those other players drop down to the Giants. And finally, this one from Jeremy Schneider. Speaking of Tua, seeing Tua drop to the Giants in some mocks, is there any scenario where the Giants go quarterback in the first round in 2020? This seems crazy to me, Dan. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I wanted to address it because I'm seeing more of this like on my timeline. But like, no, like, why? I mean, why? Why would the Giants? take a quarterback like uh, again i guess i feel like sometimes i'm like the only guy who thinks daniel jones is like really good because i mean like you used a sixth pick on him a year ago like what more could you have seen from him he's, you know, he's been on a bad team with you know patchwork offensive line weapons missing left and right and he's consistently been productive i know about the fumbles but like if he was perfect as a rookie you'd be like is this guy a robot i mean rookies make mistakes they, there has to be some growing pains and he's had some but 
there, there's nothing more you could have wanted from him as a sixth pick. So I'm almost answering this question more in the broader sense because I said it, you know, kind of joking on Twitter that like that that matchup between the Redskins and the Giants, I think it's week 15, is like the Chase Young Bowl because they're, you know, both in line right now, two and three, that the loser of that game, you know, maybe locks up the second pick. Who knows? Um, and people are like, oh, the, you know, the Redskins are going to take a quarterback. But like what the Cardinals did last year is so off the map. Like I think people have somehow – think it's commonplace or the fact that it's kind of worked out pretty well. Like Kyler Murray looks, you know, good and it was probably worth doing what they did. But like teams do not take quarterbacks in the top 15 picks in consecutive years. It's it just does not happen. And for good reason. I mean it's such a valuable asset. Like it, it, it's it's hard to accept that you were wrong if that's what the Redskins would do. Said, Listen, I know Haskins does not look good, but he was in like two starts. So you're gonna like throw in the towel off at most he'll have a half a season of experience and you're gonna say like our evaluations were dead wrong a year ago. We're going to scrap all of that, all the investment in him, and then use another premium pick on another guy. And, like, you know, listen, like, is Tua a sure thing anymore? Like, the injury history is super alarming there. So, I mean, listen, I know Joe Burrow is a spectrum number one, and, and he looks like a lock to be a stud. But, like, is he a better prospect than Dwayne Haskins if you're looking at things without the benefit of, you know, seeing Haskins struggle in the NFL? So, I just think this idea that that's going to become a trend, I don't see it at all. Because you're also dealing with, like, stubborn – prideful people in front offices. Like it's amazing that the Cardinals were willing to swallow their pride and say, listen, we screwed up with Rosen and this Murray thing is like a once in a lifetime opportunity to match a coach with like his ideal quarterback. So we're going to just like bite the bullet. But I I just don't see it becoming a trend. Like you make that pick for a first round quarterback, you're going to give him two, three, four years to like figure it out in most cases, unless it's just a complete Jamarcus Russell level disaster. But, like, the teams just aren't going to pull the plug on. So I definitely don't think the Giants would because I think they should be, you know, doing cartwheels that they, they hit it on Daniel Jones for, you know, all intents and purposes. Like, we'll see what his ceiling is. But, you know, looks pretty good right now. And then I just don't see teams doing what the Cardinals did. I think that was, you know, a total aberration. So I think the idea that, um, you know, that's something to consider is like a viable option going forward. I don't see that being the case. So I think that, you know, if it's the Redskins at two, like, I think they will probably take Chase Young or maybe they take the offensive lineman. But, uh, I, I don't think that um, USC teams start doing that. And again, I don't think it should even be on the table for the Giants. Yeah, and we'll see if it's long-term even was a good idea for the Cardinals. I mean, obviously, Murray looks good, but we'll see where that leaves the team using back-to-back first-round picks on on quarterbacks because um, they were able to trade Rosen at least, but it can put you in a bad spot for sure financially also. All right, sure, we're in the middle of football season, but there's still news coming out of the baseball world. And when your team warrants it, the podcast here in the Athletic Podcast Network will have an emergency podcast for you. And Mets fans... New episode of the Metrospective is out this week. The GM meetings wrapped up, and Tim Britton and Pete McCarthy have you covered with everything that went down in Scottsdale. Hear what Bertie Van Wagnen said and didn't say about the Mets offseason plans. That's the Metrospective podcast right here on The Athletic. That's going to do it for us. Follow Dan on Twitter, at DDuggan21. You can always use that hashtag, DuggenDeep, as well, because we're always... Pretty much at least every week or every two weeks, we're going to go to the dug in deep. Not always a full episode like this, but at least a few questions here and there. Later this week on our The Athletic exclusive pod, we'll get you ready for the post bye week Giants at a game with the Bears. So tune in for that one as well. But thanks for tuning in to this episode of the New York Football Podcast. 